This is Chthonia, the world of the dark feminine. Hello and welcome to Chthonia, the podcast dealing with the dark feminine. I'm your host, Breach Burke, and Happy New Year! This is the first podcast that I'm recording for 2021. And we're going to start actually in the cold of winter, at least the cold of winter up here in the uh, Northern Hemisphere, with a goddess that's associated more with heat and fire, and that is um, Maman Brigitte, who is a, uh, she is con- she's a goddess that is usually uh, venerated in the Caribbean and uh, in Haiti in particular, uh, and she is associated uh, with Haitian voodoo. Now we're gonna talk I'm, I'm going to be talking a lot about some of these goddesses that are more um, Caribbean, Latin American, African, um, and their, you know, and, and their their influences and their connections. At least that's the way I'm going to be doing for at least the first few episodes of Chthonia for this year. And this time, um, what I want to do, because my mom, Brigitte, uh, has a very interesting background, I want to explain first who she is. Uh, what what kind of a a spirit or deity that she is? What her connections are, and I feel like I need to give some background on it because um, it's not one of those things that's necessarily going to be obvious to everybody unless you're already familiar with voodoo and voodoo practices. Um, so I want to talk about that, but also I want to talk about her origins because um, my mom Brigitte, even though she is part of a Afro Caribbean um, religious system, her origins are actually not from Africa at all. And I want to, um, so I want to talk about those things. I want to talk about her with, you know, um, and I, I want to talk about her origins because it, it'd be very interesting to see how the original goddess uh, she is based on, or the original saint that she is based on, um, how, how those two, how, how the two of the two different personalities uh, came to be connected. And of course, we also want to talk about some of the attributes of Maman Brigitte, some of the, um, symbols and things that are associated with her and um, what their connection would be. Okay, so um, so with that, let me get started um, talking about her. So who is she? Okay, Maman Brigitte, and her name is, is spelled a variety of different ways. Sometimes she's referred to as Gran or An Manman, uh, but she is nonetheless, this is the same figure. She is what they call a Loa, L-O-A. And I hope I'm saying that correctly. There may be a, a different, slightly different inflection for that. But she is, um, and I'm going to explain in a minute what a, what a Loa is. And she's the consort of uh, Baron Somdi, who is another Loa. And they belong to a family of Loas known as Gede. Um, she drinks rum infused with hot pepper. And she's symbolized by a black rooster. Um, and like uh, Baron Samdi and the rest of the Gede, she is very foul-mouthed. Uh, she's also said the adoptive mother of Gede Nibo. Okay. So, okay, so let's back up for a minute. What are we talking about here? So first of all, let's talk about what a Loa is. Um, or, um, yeah, I'm looking at the pronunciation. It kind of shows LWA, and I think that's, I think that's right. Um, they are, uh, yeah, the spirits of Haitian voodoo and also Louisiana voodoo. You have, um... Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's written as LWA in Haitian Creole. Um, and they're referred to as um, 
Misteres and uh, the Invisibles, or I don't know if it's French, uh, Invisible, because um, obviously Creole is a mixture of the African and the Caribbean um, elements there, as well as uh, French, and maybe even somewhat Spanish to a certain degree, because it has a lot to do with who colonized those areas um, at the time that these belief systems rose as they did. Um, now, these spirits are intermediaries between um, the bonde, B-O-N-D-Y-E, which comes from, which is basically a, a French term, uh, bon Dieu, you know, B-O-N-D-I-E-U, uh, which means good God. Uh, and the uh, bon Dieu is actually a distant from the world, okay, very, very um, monotheistic, very um, Jewish monotheistic in terms of the way that uh, Yehovah behaves or El, the God, a Canaanite God, El, the, the God that sort of um, is away from everybody else. And in this case, this is the deity that's also the creator of the world and uh, presumably of the universe. And um, so we see that right now, right off the bat, that we are dealing with an intermediary or what you might have called in ancient times a tutelary spirit. And like a like a daemon or an angel or actual demons or which are which are really just they're just another version of angels or their um, versions of what they call um, decans or or sub what they call sublunary uh, spirits or or deities, uh, which is a which is a whole separate topic that um, I talk about in my underworld mythology class. But with regard to what we what we have here. You have these, um, you know, they, this is a, these are spirits that act as intermediaries. They're not technically gods, um, even though they have a, a sort of they're, they're sort of divine origin. They're 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 um, they're very liminal in the sense that they are in between. They almost act as gatekeepers between um, the the supreme creator and humanity. Um, now, what makes the however what makes the loa a little bit different from uh, what we tend to think of as, say, angels or, or other kinds of messengers. Um, by the way, I should also mention in, in ancient Rome, you have the, the Laris and the, uh, the Genius and, and, and those, um, or Genius, I think, as you would have said, in ancient Rome, uh, the, the, the sort of local spirits. You had a spirit for the, for the city, and then you had your, your household gods and, and, and local spirits. These might be more akin to those in terms of um, their function. Um, but what's different about them is that in addition to, um, you know, they're not just prayed to. You don't just pray to one of them uh, to intercede for you. You also serve them, okay? Um, they're distinct beings with their own personal likes and dislikes, distinct sacred rhythms, songs, dances, ritual symbols, and special modes of service. Um, so the way that it works in a ritual, typically, is that the priest or priestess or the sorcerer who is... Um, doing the ceremony, what they do is they, um, they, they call the, the loa to participate. They make the, you know, prescribed offerings to the loa and the loa will enter the ceremony through the body of the, um, of the, you know, the, um, the priest or the priestess, they're referred to as cheval or as the horse. Okay. That's the French word for horse. So it's as though the, um, the requesting uh, priest or sorcerer is being ridden like a horse by the spirit, which is why you'll see in voodoo ceremonies, you see people convulsing or falling onto the ground. And what it is, is and, and they, they behave in certain ways, which shows you that who the loa is, who's present in their body, 
And then, of course, you know, the response of the LOA will show you whether or not your request uh, is going to be granted. Okay. And it's not always, it's noted here in this article I'm reading that um, there's, you know, that doesn't always have to be a violent occurrence. There are some LOA um, that are very, very quiet about how they, how they enter the ceremony. But, you know, but, but the ones we're thinking of, they tend to be uh, very boisterous in their, in their way. Okay, and um, okay. So once the low have arrived, been fed, been served, and they give the helper advice, they then leave. Okay, and they have certain veve that they um, draw. These are like symbols of these different uh, loa that are put on the ground uh, uh, to invite them in. And then, of course, you know when they're thanked and asked to leave at the end of the ceremony. Um, and it's mentioned here that certain can become obstinate. So the gate, for example, often want one more smoke or one more drink, but it is the job of the priest or priestess to keep uh, the spirit in line while they are provided for. Okay. So that is the work of the, um, of the voodoo practitioner. Now, this may sound um, strange when you're thinking about it in terms of a Western religious context, but... It's not very strange in that it is definitely reflective of some of the most ancient forms of religion and uh, belief. Because, uh, you know, because as I've said before, and I don't wish to be repetitive on this, but modern monotheistic religion, what we think of in the West, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, is, um, it's not only monotheistic, it's ethical, Okay. It's, it's based on this sort of rationalistic idea of God as this, this single being who is good, uh, all good, and whose judgments are always right, even if you don't understand them, and so on and so forth, and that your behavior as a human will determine your relationship, um, it's particularly your, your you know, um, reward or punishment in life and perhaps after death as well. So, um, but... We, as we've discussed, you know, a lot of these spirits, these are spirits of nature. These are the forces that we are in the world with, okay, that we don't necessarily understand and that we know have powers, you know, that, you know, we don't have. So, you know, so these are ways that are developed of having a relationship with the deities that are around us, with the forces of nature, um, and with the forces, that, you know, and again, with the forces that deal with the unknowns and we make these offerings and we do things, it's sort of like you develop a relationship. Okay, you know, if I, if, if I give you this, you'll do something for me. Or at the very least, you know, uh, with, with certain very dangerous deities, there's the sense of if I make an offering to you, maybe you'll be nice to me and won't, won't harm me. And that's where you get the idea of them, call, you know, calling these kinds of spirits by names like kindly ones, you know, the way the Arrhenius were, or the Furies in um, Greek and Roman mythology, or the Manes, which are the, um, the the spirits of the dead who are presumed to be angry. But you call them kindly ones, you know, again, in the same way that you might say nice doggy. Um, so there's, there's definitely... Um, you know, it's, it's about, this is the way of negotiating the unknown, okay? This is the oldest form of religion. It's, it's the, the pact, the P-A-C-T, the pact. And we always tend to think of pacts, again, in monotheistic religion as demonic pacts, you know, pacts you make with devils or with these other spirits. But it's really just a matter of, of trying to come into relationship with these spirits. And in a very Dionysian fashion, okay, the way that these spirits deal with the person is they take possession of the body. Um, that was the one thing about Dionysus in ancient uh, Greece, or Bacchus, 
was that one could be directly possessed by the god. You didn't have this experience with any of the other Greek gods, okay? It was just you had this experience of direct possession, um, and that was usually through drinking wine. And in here, in a lot of these ceremonies, too, you have these, like I said, this very hot-spiced rum and um, other, other offerings of, of that, alcoholic offerings of that kind of nature, um, which the pr practitioner isn't necessarily drinking to get drunk or to, to do things. That's not how it works, but... Um, but, but certainly you have that, that kind of offering. So this, so this is not, there's a lot of precedent for this. And of course, this comes out of African religion. Um, and as you'll find um, throughout Africa, um, the Middle East, the Near East, um, you have a lot of these, these very similar kinds of practices. And they're not, they're not, you know, the least bit illogical. It's, you know, we're trying to have a relationship with the spirits um, of nature. We recognize that they're different from us. And we want to, um, you not only uh, propitiate them, but, you know, and then of course there's state religion, which is a whole separate thing. But, you know, people individually want to, to do that, to come into relationship with them and hopefully have these spirits help them. And, you know, and again, this is where we have the idea of oracles and, and other things that help us interpret what those, those beings, whether they be the gods, whether they be these intermediaries, what their message is, what they're saying to us. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's enough on the Loas. Uh, so let's get into the Gede, okay? So the Gede are spirits of unclaimed or unremembered dead. So they're, which is different, which is different from one's remembered ancestors, because again, that's another ancient practice, the idea of venerating the dead. Uh, whether you're talking about the Shinto religion in the Far East, whether you're talking about the kind of elaborate um, graves with, with offerings that you see, for example, in the Mexican Day of the Dead ceremonies, um, you see them in other parts of the world as well. Even the whole idea of putting a tombstone to commemorate somebody in which you put like flowers or a grave cover or other things, it's a very similar idea of remembering the dead. The Gede deal with the unremembered dead, okay? Which in, um, again, in ancient times would have been, these would have been the, the souls that are kind of wandering between the underworld and this world. So um, in, in voodoo, you actually have a, a class of spirits that um, that tend to those um, those unremembered dead, and it's said that Maman Brigitte cares more for them in death than they were ever cared for in life. Okay, um, now the Gede are led by the barons uh, Lacroix, uh, Samedi, um, Cimeteri, and Criminel, as well as Maman Brigitte. Okay, as a family, it says they are loud, rude, though rarely to the point of real insult, sexual, and usually a lot of fun. Um, as to those who've lived already, they have nothing to fear and frequently will display how far past consequence and feeling they are when they come in through a service. Um, so the possessed person, the person possessed by the loa, will um, might eat, eat glass or raw chilies or anoint, as they call them, their sensitive areas with chili rum. Uh, that, that actually, actually all of those things sound pretty horrible to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, and the traditional colors are black and purple. And they are known for the banda, a dance they perform that mimics sexual intercourse. Okay, so we see that the gaiti or rather gaiti, sorry, uh, are a rather uh, boisterous sort. And um, and I always love the fact that um, Maman Brigitte drinks her rum with pepper. Um, not not to digress too much onto this, but I always think of the what's in a name because my name is Bridge, and my name is Bridge uh, after after the uh, goddess where what, that we're going to be talking about next. That is the origin also of Maman Brigitte. But I find it interesting that, um, you know, like one of the ways, and I, I actually hadn't studied this about Maman Brigitte until recently, 
But when I found out that she liked that hot pepper rum, I was laughing because basically the way I like all of my alcoholic beverages is with hot pepper in them. Um, has nothing to do with it. I just kind of always think of like, okay, when you name somebody, it's interesting how sometimes you feel like you might take on some of the attributes of that name. And, and you know, and yeah, I am, I can be pretty foul mouthed too. If you, you know, just ask me, just get me, just get me really riled up about something. I can get very foul mouthed. So it's, uh, yeah, so I'm a, again, I'm not trying to compare myself, but it's just funny how that you, you can take on the qualities of the name of somebody, which is, which is very interesting. So, um, okay, so this is what we want to say about her. This is, this is who we're talking about. This is the, um, the character and the class of being that she belongs to. And her role is to, yes, to, to look after the dead who are um, unremembered and also to protect their graves. Uh, and, and including this would be, um, along with her husband, uh, Baron Sumdi, there'd be the idea of having the body rot so that people can't use it for, you know, reanimating as a zombie or a jumbi. Um, and, you know, just other ways in which the dead person um, is protected from um, black magic or, or from other things. Um, although these, these are also deities who would be invoked in such operations as well. So there's this, there's this idea. So where does she come from? What's her origin? Well, her, her origin is in a goddess called Brigid or Breege. Okay. Um, this, there's a whole variety of spellings, which is why and nobody looks at B-R-I-G-I-D and thinks that you pronounce that Breege. Um, even in Ireland, I find that people don't necessarily, they just assume your name is Brigid. And I don't correct anybody because it really, it doesn't matter. It's either way. Um, but... Because normally when people say spell it that way, they spell it B-R-I-D. That's breach. Okay, you know, with the um, even though all the letters after it are usually silent in Irish, um, yeah, that's the there's there's a there's a number of spellings. So who is breach? Okay, she's a goddess of pre-Christian Ireland. Um, she is a member of the Tuatha de Danann, uh, just like the Morrigan. She's the daughter of the Dagda and the wife of Bress, with whom she had a son, uh, Ruadan. Okay, she's associated with spring, particularly, now her feast day is February 1st or 2nd, uh, the Feast of Imbolc, when the uh, lambs are um, being born. And, and that usually also is the festival of first light, um, the way it was described to me by Alexei Kondratiev, as he said, when, um, you know, the, the farmhands who would go out early in the morning to milk the cows and, you know, do all the things that they normally do, um, in wintertime, the mornings are dark, so they have to go out with a candle. And by the time you get to Breeges Day, which is February 1st, February 2nd, they can give the candle back to their employer because um, now there's enough light in the sky. So you're, it's really, uh, in, the, in this sort of Irish-slash-Celtic system, it's the beginning of spring. Okay, February 1st is like the beginning of spring. We think of the beginning of spring as the um, spring equinox on the 21st of March. But, um, you know, the, the Celts, just like, just like winter starts for the Celts on Samhain or Halloween, um, you know, spring starts with Breeges Day, and then, of course, uh, Beltane is, uh, on May 1st, is the beginning of summer. So it's a little bit of a, of a shift in um, what we think of in terms of the equinoxes and solstices, but you get the idea. So, okay, so what are the attributes of Breege, okay? She is, um, now, some say she's a triple goddess, and that she's, there's Breege, and then there's a healer Breege, and also a Breege who is a smith, um, like, a, like a, you know, craftsmith or a blacksmith or a forger. So she is very much associated with, uh, so she's the, the goddess that the poets adored, okay? And she's associated with not only spring, but fertility, healing, poetry, 
and Smithcraft. Okay. So, uh, she is, um, you know, uh, she also invents, okay, uh, she invents the art of keening, which is, now this is interesting, okay, in, in light of what we're going to say about Maman Brigitte. Keening is the, the, the singing that goes along with mourning. Now, you don't, again, this is not unique to Ireland in any way. Um, keening is something that you see in a lot of different cultures. In fact, it's, it's, it's a very ancient practice in Greece with uh, funeral ceremonies uh, uh, that I think um, it was actually, in the you know, early Athenian democracy, they actually outlawed it. Uh, I think Solon outlawed it because people would, would walk around and, you know, you know, sackcloth and ashes and, like, rip at their hair and, and do this howling, okay? In fact, the uh, word um, goetia or, um, or goete is, comes from, is, is said possibly to come from the word for howling. And it's kind of, it's, it's sort of that song that you sing to bring the dead to their final resting place in the underworld, okay? Um, so here uh, it says that she invents it as a combination of weeping and singing while mourning for her son Ruadon when he's slain while fighting for the Fomorians. Um, and she is, um, you know, so she, so she has this association. The, the Morrigan also is associated with Keening, which, you know, has kind of, creates kind of an interesting link between her and Breach. Um, and there are, um, there are some stories, probably more obscure, that link Breach with the Morrigan. Um, I'm not, not suggesting that they're the same deity, but that there is a link between the two of them. Um, now, the name Breach actually means exalted, so Breach tends to be associated with high places, okay? And right now, of course, of course, all the, when um, Ireland converted to Christianity, they, of course, took one of their favorite goddesses, Breach, and made her into St. Brigid, who, um, and particularly, she has to do not only with sacred fires, but with the holy well, particularly at Kildare. And, um, and there's some who say, because <clears throat> she also has a... a counterpart Brigantia okay that seems to be the equivalent of Minerva or Athena so that's and that that makes a lot of sense because if you, you see what all the functions are of Breach you know um, this idea of not only um, being crafty and I don't mean crafty in a sneaky sense but like literally being able to make things which is also an attribute of Athena who is considered to be a very fine weaver and you know she's um you know, reversed in all of those kinds of arts, and she also represents high strategy, into military strategy, intellect. Um, so there's, so there, there may be a, a relationship between those two. Um, it says she's the goddess of all things perceived to be a relatively high dimension, such as high rising flames, highlands, hill forts, and upland areas, and activities and states conceived as psychologically lofty and elevated such as wisdom, excellence, perfection, high intelligence, poetic eloquence, craftsmanship, healing ability, druidic knowledge, and skill in warfare. Okay. So, okay, so what is the connection between this breach? And, of course, then there's St. Bridget, who is associated with, um, uh, among the other things, first of all, she's considered to be very chaste. Okay, so she has a lot to do with chastity or keeping girls, helping girls to stay chaste in unusual situations where you know, they might be um, cornered into not being chased. Uh, she is said to be like an expert with the, not only with dairy, but with brewing beer. And it was said that St. Bridge had, had said, um, or St. Bridget had said um, that she envisioned heaven as a lake of beer and that she felt beer was a gift from God to, uh, so to, as proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. 
So we do see a connection with um, the saint and uh, the brewing of beer. Um, but other than that, we, we see, of course, this very, you know, chaste and saintly um, good friend to St. Patrick, and both of them have all of these incredible deeds uh, attributed to them because they are, of course, this mixture of the ancient deity and the saint. Now, okay, so, Breej and then Maman Brigitte. What happens? Well, um, there's that certain period of uh, colonization, um, and of course, this was a time when England, you know, there there was sort of a back and forth about the sovereignty of Ireland, okay? And a lot of the times when um, the, the British or the English had control, um, there was a lot of, um, the, the Irish have actually, and they're not the only ones, there's been this sense of those who are poor or who are peasants, you know, who, you know, who, who, who don't have the aristocracy or the land or the wealth, you know, they kind of get shuffled around. Either they become, you know, um, uh, you know kind of like feudal uh, peasants on these different um, estates, or they kind of, they would send them off uh, into indentured servitude, which is kind of a form of slavery, except the idea is that you work for a number of years to buy your freedom. And a lot of times they were sent to the Caribbean, to Haiti and to, um, to places in the islands. And of course, these were populated by Spanish and French, um, you know, people primarily, uh, you know, at least of the European colonizers, who of course were Catholic. And of course, the Irish, uh, the form of Christianity they adopted tended to, ended up being a uh, Catholic Christianity. I mean, there there is kind of a little bit of a difference with what we think of as Celtic Christianity, but nonetheless, it's it's basically Catholic. You see, as you see now, the the Catholic Church is still very influential in Ireland and was for years. Now, okay, so now so what they do is they they go to the islands. Um, they meet the people of African descent there, who also may have been brought there in slavery and in other conditions, similar conditions. And they start to adopt their religious practices, but they mix it with their own. And so, um, you know, so Bridge or Bridget becomes Maman Brigitte. Okay, so she, and she has this role, interestingly, of dealing with the, um, with the dead. Now, some people say, well, you know, this, this loudmouth, drinking, sexual um, woman ha- is, is, is not, seem to be related to any of the original Bridges. But I would argue that she is because her whole role is to deal with the poor, the downtrodden, in death. Just like you have deities like uh, Santa Muerte, for example, or some of the deities in the Far East, like Chamunda, who deal with the people who are poor, who are outcasts, who have nobody and have nothing, okay? And these are the, the kind of motherly, dark mother spirits who come in, and they are there to look after and to protect people who are in this this category or this class, uh, this there tends to include uh, include criminals and thugs. It's the idea of you know these people who are you know have misfortune, who are downtrodden, who are in these bad circumstances, that they have someone who is a champion for them. And very similarly, like Saint Bridget certainly was somebody who um, always gave everything she had um, away to the poor. So. Um, you know, so you know, so you see, you see this idea of championing those who who don't have anything, and uh, so she becomes she sort of becomes combined and then in, in, um, integrated into this belief system, and as she's integrated, um, you you also she's not the only Catholic influence on voodoo. I mean, certainly there's a lot of Catholic saints who end up sort of becoming, and even archangels like like Archangel Michael, for instance, who become sort of um, loas in their own right, 
within the voodoo religion. So um, certainly in the Caribbean, you have this kind of um, crossover between these deities. Um, now, um, and, and also when I think about uh, Bridge or Bridget and the art of keening, okay, so she has this, this role in terms of mourning. So, you know, that again, may be another thing that connects her to Maman Brigitte as someone who deals with the dead, okay, and deals with the, with the afterlife um, and acts as this kind of intermediary or guardian spirit in the same way that a saint does too, by the way. I'm talking about angels and, and daemons and other things, but saints are also technically intercessionary beings between humans and God, okay? Only the assumption is that they were once humans who were, yeah, had displayed some kind of exemplary ethics, okay? And so, therefore, they, they have these, these special powers. Okay, um, so, yeah, and I've also noted that the, the, you know, the hot peppers, the hot rum, things like that that are associated with Maman Brigitte, are things that, um, you know, that also have to do with the heat of fire, right? I mean, it has to do with, um, you know, there, there's definitely a, if we think about fire as an element, there's definitely a very fiery um, aspect to that. Now, another interesting thing is the, the black rooster, okay? And, and I can't help when I read that thinking of the old, of the grimoire, uh, the black pullet, okay? Which also refers to a, a kind of a black rooster. And... So what does a rooster represent? Okay, well, roosters are actually very masculine. They're, they're, the, um, they're the males who fertilize the females, and that's where you get all these eggs from. They're like considered to be absolutely prolific, okay, in their, um, you know, uh, in, their, in their output, I guess you could say. And, of course, what is a rooster also known as a cock, okay? And cock is also used to refer to something else, um, you know, certainly to the male genitalia. So it's a very, very swaggering masculine um, energy associated with the rooster. But it also has a tremendous, you know, but, but you also could see this as a symbol of fertility, okay? Um, the rooster is, is an extremely, you know, is a symbol of very, very strong fertility, usually on the male side. So, his associate, so the association of the black rooster with Maman Brigitte, first of all, the blackness, uh, black is a color of the earth, Okay. And in addition to being a color of the earth, it can also be a color of death in the West. Um, the only place where black is not a color of death would be in places like um, India, where white is the color of death. Um, but it's this sexuality and this passion. So you see this, this sex-death connection in the idea of the black rooster, okay? Which, um, again, would explain why such a sexual class of loas um, that, that also deal very much with death and with that thin line that is between the two of them, um, it's very easy to see why, you know, the, you know, even though this is a very masculine animal, I mean, you could also look at the aggressiveness of Maman Brigitte. You know, like I said, she's loud, she's boisterous. Um, she's, not, she's not a little simpering flower by any stretch of the imagination, though none of, the, none of her namesakes are either, um, which might give her an attribute that people may perceive as being more, more masculine or more aggressive. But see, that's another aspect. That that's um, you know that that's that's a perception. But really, what it comes down to is that is another aspect of a feminine. There is this this loud and boisterous and not only confident, but um, you know this aspect of the feminine that is independent. You know that that isn't under the shadow of the male. That doesn't have the male who is um, 
necessarily doing for her, or she has at least as much power as the male, um, is not something widely, uh, it's, it's not, there's, you, you can see these dark feminine figures who are considered to be in a way either dangerous or, um, otherwise just heavy duty or too intense or have an intensity that people don't like because if they look to feminine energy, sometimes they want something that's comforting and, and motherly. And it's not that these energies can't be that, um, but it's a different type of motherliness. It's more of a protective motherliness, like, like a mother bear, the way they protect their cups. Okay, there's more of a, or we had talked about with Tolaret, um, you know, she's this uh, hippopotamus goddess, and hippopotami, you know, are hippopotami, is that right? Or is it hippopotamuses? Anyway, they're very fierce. So she is, again, seen as this protector of children because of the ferocious nature. Now, again, nobody's, I don't know that Maman Brigitte is regarded as quote-unquote fierce, but she is, she is definitely not a, a lightweight or simpering kind of a deity. So, um, so, but, it, but, so it's interesting to see this, the way in which a goddess of smithcraft poetry, an Athena-like goddess, actually, um, becomes, you know, becomes this Christian saint and then goes over to the islands and becomes this, um, this Loa of, of the underworld of dealing with the, uh, the dead who have been forgotten and left behind. So um, that's all I want to say on Maman Brigitte. Um, I hope you found this useful and informative. If you're interested in more of my podcasts, if you're new to them, please visit Cthonia.net, where I have a link to where all my podcasts are. Of course, you can subscribe on, you know, iTunes, Spotify, whatever podcast service you use, you should be able to subscribe to Cthonia. And of course, I'm also on YouTube. Some of you may be watching this on YouTube. And uh, you, you know, I, I encourage you to subscribe there as well. So, you know, I include some visuals with it. I mean, really, this is just a podcast with visuals behind it on YouTube. But um, and it can give you, you know, it, it just, um, for people who prefer that uh, medium, that is there as well. And I am as uh, Cthonia on YouTube. I'm Cthonia Podcast on social media. Um, two words on Facebook, one word on Twitter and Instagram. And also I have a Patreon, so if you would like to support my work, um, patreon.com slash Cthonia. Uh, I, I am putting together some more extra benefits for, uh, for patrons. So, um, you know, it's, it, it is worthwhile. At the very least, you get, you know, first access to podcasts, but um, there are a few more updates, some, sometimes some extra podcasts and some giveaways and things that I have for, um, exclusively for people who are patrons. I want to thank you for listening and till the next episode.